Welcome back. We're in the Gospel of Mark, as we have been for quite some time. And we're going to tackle a whopping four verses today. Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. Those of you who were with us last time, we talked about marriage, what Jesus taught about marriage in response to a question about divorce and remarriage from the Pharisees. And naturally, talk about marriage, going to talk about children. And that's the next step. I'd like to remind you, those of you who were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the culture at that time and what they thought about children. They didn't think very well of children. They looked as children at children as worth less than the lowest household servant. And God's people may have had a higher view of children, that they're a gift from the Lord, but even in the Jewish households of that time, they still thought, The saying is that children should be seen and not heard. They didn't really want them to be seen or heard. They were not worth much to that culture in that time until they got old enough to work and and have their own households. You could say it this way, that they just didn't view children as important. So today we're going to look at these four verses, and I've titled this sermon, Children and Other Unimportant People. Because that's how that society looked at children, that they were unimportant. Let's read this. I'm going to ask you to stand, please. Hopefully you've had a chance to find it. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Then they brought young children to Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we consider these verses together this morning, we're asking for your help. Help to set aside the distractions outside this place help to focus on you and your word help with understanding it Lord, these are pretty straightforward verses simple probably familiar to many of us but help us to see what you have for us this morning that we would have ears to hear lord i ask for your help that you would anoint me by your holy spirit to teach your word accurately that i would include what you want us to hear that i would leave out what you don't want us to hear and you help us all to desire to be changed to be more like you to let your word have its effect on us this morning in jesus name amen thank you you may be seated three main ideas for you from these four verses point number one bring children to jesus That's verse 13. Bring children to Jesus because he welcomes them. Point number two, if you're a child, come to Jesus. He welcomes you. That's verses 14 and then again in verse 16. Then third, if you have the attitude of a child, come to Jesus. He welcomes you. That's in verses 14 and 15. Those are the three ideas, as simple as they are. Bring children to Jesus If you're a child, come to Jesus. 
if you have the attitude of a child, come to Jesus. That first point, bring children to Jesus, is verse 13. Why bring them? Because he welcomes them. Here's how verse 13 goes. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. When it says then, it suggests that this happened right after the previous episode when Jesus was talking in the house with his disciples, further explaining divorce and remarriage. They. There are many times in the Gospel of Mark that we have a they that has no antecedent. We don't know who they are. We suppose they are probably the parents or maybe older siblings or grandparents. At any rate, they are people, adults, older people, who are bringing children to Jesus. And he says that they brought them to Jesus that he might touch them. What are they asking for? For him to lay hands on these children and pray over them and bless them. That was common in that day. Jewish parents would bring their children to a rabbi and say, would you pray a blessing, speak a blessing over my child? And Jesus is a rabbi, a teacher. And so it's very natural for parents to want to bring their children to Jesus to have him lay hands on them and bless them. I would say for us in modern times, it is our duty, all of us, especially children's workers, to bring children to Jesus. And if you're a parent in the room, or a grandparent or a great-grandparent in the room, it is our job, our duty, to bring children to Jesus. That's what these parents, we think, these adults were doing, bringing children to Jesus. When it says little children, these could be 0 to 12. The parallel passage in Luke, he talks about, it's a different Greek word, and it means infants. It means carried them in their arms, so infants or toddlers. These may have been very young children. But Mark used this same word for the 12-year-old Jairus' daughter who was healed. So 0 to 12, anywhere in that range, these children are coming to Jesus, being brought to Jesus so that he will bless them. Now, why does this even matter? If the children are that young, are they going to remember it? I don't know. There, there are things that I don't remember, but my parents or grandparents have told me about them or I've seen pictures of them, so I kind of halfway remember them. I don't think that's the point here, whether they would remember it. I think the point here is that young children, little children, can understand spiritual truth. Now, sometimes it needs to be simplified a little bit. It needs to be on their level. It needs to be shortened, perhaps. It needs to be a devotional book or a a book with pictures instead of the Bible at times for younger children. But they absolutely can understand spiritual truth. You say, Bob, can you prove that from the Bible? I think so. I'm not going to take time to turn to it, but if you consider at the beginning of the book of Exodus, there's a baby. His name is pretty well known. It's Moses. And what was going on with Moses? All the other boy babies were being thrown in the river. They were being killed at birth. And his parents believed God, and they wanted to protect him. So they made that little ark, that little boat, for him to float down the river. And who discovered him? By God's providence, the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, found him. And drew him out of the water. And who's watching? Big sister Miriam. And what does she offer? She says, hey, I could get a nurse to care for this child. And by God's providence, Moses goes back to his own family. And this time, the mother gets paid to nurse the baby. That's a pretty good deal. You say, what does this have to do with bringing a child to Jesus? Well, not Jesus per se, but teaching the ways of the Lord. I believe during those formative years, 0 to 3, 0 to 5, whatever it might have been, when Moses was in his own birth household, that he learned some things that stuck 
Why? Because when he got older, he identified with his people, the Hebrew people. Even though he had learned all of the education, all of the culture, living in Pharaoh's household, what stuck with him, what he learned when he was very young, that's what stuck with him. Hebrews says it this way, that when he grew up, he was not ashamed to be called a people of the Hebrews, identified with God, even though he was tempted with all that that court, that palace had to offer, he would rather reject the pleasures of sin and accept what God had given him, what his mother, probably primarily, and father had taught him when he was very young. Because we don't know the exact age, but probably by five or six at the latest, he went off to live somewhere else. That stuck with him. So those of you who have young children or grandchildren or even great-grandchildren right now, they understand more than we think they do. They remember more than we think they do. And we can bring them to Jesus. How can we do that? How can we lead children, particularly our own children, to Christ? This is not an exhaustive list, but practical ways that most of you are aware of. Evangelize them. God has given you an unsaved person under your roof to share the gospel with. Now, that doesn't mean every hour of every day, but as often as you can work it in. You get upset. You, you blow up at your child. Say something you wish you had or louder than you wish you had. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? That's not how Jesus wants me to treat you. That's not how Jesus treats me. I blew it. The humility that you can show in your own life. The fact that you can tell them, Jesus loves you. That is a huge concept, folks. Every little kid, every adult in the room, Jesus loves you. How do we know that? He rescued us. He's our Savior. He died for us on the cross. He rose again. Just the very simple elements of the gospel, teaching those over and over, evangelizing our children, discipling them, teaching them the Bible, or reading it to them on, in an age-appropriate way, praying with them. Praying over them. Encouraging them. Blessing them. Challenging them. Modeling Christ-like behavior. And then being honest and humble when you blow it. These are some ways we can lead our children to Jesus. And is that what happened here? Did the disciples embrace that and say, yeah, come on. The more the merrier. And that's not what happened. Second part of the verse there, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Again, we don't know who they were, probably the parents. Why? Because they're unimportant. These are children. Can't you see? This is a rabbi. This is an important spiritual leader. And maybe they, they knew, they might have said, he's, he's the Messiah. Come on. He's the king of Israel. He does not have time for little children. The disciples had a tendency to send them away. That was their answer with the feeding of the 5,000. Send them away. The person who was following after them, send her away. People bringing their children, send them away. Get them out of here. Forbid them. Rebuke them. They're not important for Jesus, enough for Jesus. Jesus had already taught his disciples. If you go back to chapter 9, and we won't go there either today, but chapter 9, around verse 36 he told them that they were supposed to receive children in his name. They were supposed to be careful not to cause offense. 
for a little one. He's already taught them that. Did they remember it? No. Another example that we need to be reminded over and over. So that's the first idea, that we need to bring children to Jesus because he welcomes them. The second and third go together here, starting in verse 14. First, if you're a child, if you're a child in the room, look up at me. If you're a child, you're supposed to come to Jesus. He welcomes you. He invites you to come to him. If you have the attitude of a child, if that's true of you, look up at me. Good, that's most of you. If you have the attitude of a child, come to Jesus. He welcomes you. Verse 14 says this. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. That, by the way, is the second of three times we're going to see little children or little child there in verse 14. When it says he was greatly displeased, if you have a different modern translation with you, it probably says he was indignant, which sounds really bad. I mean, it, it, we get from the connotation, whatever that word means, it means something bad. But I don't know about you, I haven't used the word indignant in quite some time. What does it mean? It means he was angry. My favorite synonym is he was furious. Literally, he was much grieved. Why was he upset? Why was Jesus angry? He was angry because his disciples were preventing these people, probably the parents, from bringing their children to Jesus. What made Jesus angry in this passage? That people were preventing children from coming to Jesus. That made him angry. And what makes us angry tells a lot about our character, doesn't it? What has you all riled up shows what you believe. It shows what's important to you. Someone said, Jesus' displeasure here reveals his compassion and defense of the helpless, the vulnerable, the powerless. What did Jesus say? First off, let the little children come to me. Let them come. The verb tense is, let them continue to have access to me. Second part's negative. Do not forbid them. Stop hindering them. Stop stopping them. Let them come. Don't stop them. And then here's the key phrase, for of such is the kingdom of God. I don't know whether the disciples appreciated that. Because what was their attitude? They're unimportant. They don't get time with Jesus. Come on, you have to get on his schedule weeks in advance here. They don't think Jesus has time for this. And instead he's saying, not only do I want you to let them come, stop forbidding them, you have to come the way they come. He's correcting them. He's rebuking his disciples here in the same way they were rebuking those who brought the children. He's demanding that his disciples become like little children themselves. Charles Rory put it this way. In order to enter the kingdom, we must come to Christ in childlike faith. That's what that means, to become like them. We have to come to Jesus. To be in the kingdom, we have to come with childlike faith. Now here's a side note for you. If these were infants and toddlers, the way Luke describes the scene, then these children would have been too young to receive salvation, to be part of the kingdom. They couldn't come exercise faith in Jesus. So what's that saying? I think it's implying, many other Bible scholars think, this may be also suggesting that children who are too young to exercise faith in God 
or those who may have a mental disability that they don't ever come to that place that they can exercise faith in God that by his grace he accepts them anyway. Some of you parents in the room may, may have had a miscarriage along the way. You may have had a child pass away. If that child was not able to accept Christ by faith, to put faith in him, I believe that that child is already with God in heaven. And we could talk about that more. That's not really the point of this today. But I want to remind us, both for reassurance that by his grace, I believe God accepts children and those who aren't able to put their faith in Christ because of a mental disability. But by the same token, let's flip that around, that there is some people call it an age of accountability. I'm not going to give it a specific age, but there comes a point at which a child is old enough to understand and believe the gospel and does have the opportunity to make a choice. Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe what my parents or my grandparents or my church people are telling me, that Jesus is the, the Messiah. He's the Savior. He is the rescuer. He is the one who can save me from my sin. And express faith in that. Place your faith in him and receive salvation. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but for those of you who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I claim to be a Christian, how many of you in the room would say, I was saved by the age of 12? That includes me, I was saved at four. Okay? How many of you were saved between 12 and 22? How many of you were saved older than 22? Okay? So we have a pretty good variety here, but many of us were saved as children. Why? Well, this passage is suggesting it, that it is easier in many cases for a child to believe the gospel, to believe that Jesus is the Savior than it is for some of us adults. We'll talk more about that as we go. D.L. Moody was a preacher back in the 1800s, and he once returned from a meeting, and he was giving a report of what happened, and he said, there were two and a half converts. And the person hosting him said, oh, you must mean there were two adults saved and, and one child. He said, oh, no, no. There were two children saved and one adult. Because the adult doesn't have much of his life left to live, but the children are giving their entire life to Christ. And I'm not saying half a soul. Please don't take that too, too far. But the fact is that children, those God places in our home, we can bring them to Jesus. We can do our part. They still need to exercise faith. We understand that. When they're old enough to understand, they need to believe the gospel and make it their own. But we need to do everything we can to bring them to Jesus because he will receive them. He welcomes them. Verse 15, Assuredly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, there it is again, will by no means enter it. Now this is really strong in the original language. We have whoever does not but Kent Hughes has a paraphrase of this section that I want to share with you. No one will get into the kingdom of God unless he or she receives God's salvation like a child. No one. So it's emphatic. No one is going to get in who doesn't receive the kingdom of God the way a child does. And by that, I don't mean that we are childish, but we are childlike. We need to have the attitude of a child. Someone said, not innocence, but helpless 
dependence. Someone else described it as humble, trusting dependence and the recognition that I have not achieved anything that's going to let me into heaven. I can't do it on my own. I think this description that Jesus is using here is similar to what he told Nicodemus. Do you remember? He met with Nicodemus at night. And he came and said, what, what's going on here? He has questions about the Messiah and, and salvation. And he starts asking his questions. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. He says, I can't do that. How am I, I'm a grown man. How can I be born again? Go back into my mother's womb. It doesn't work. And Jesus is talking about a spiritual rebirth. But when we're born, how old are we? I was very young when I was born. What about you? And that's what he's telling Nicodemus. You must be born again to be born from above, to be born spiritually, to be reborn, to be recreated. Lots of synonyms we can use there. But that's the idea. You must be born again. It's similar to saying, if you're going to be part of the kingdom, if you're coming with me, I'm the Messiah. If you're coming with me, if you're going to be my follower, you have to come as a child, with childlike faith, with the attitude of a child. Have you come to Christ in that way? Is that your attitude? Not that I'm going to live such a good life, I'm going to do so much good, and it's going to be so much more than my bad. I'm going to make myself resemble to God. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to be at church. You can do all the good you want to, but that's not going to get you into heaven. None of us can be perfect. All of us have sinned. All of us need rescuing from Jesus. So we as adults have to become like children in order to enter the kingdom. A few of my commentaries threw something out that I hadn't really thought of before. I put it in a table so you can see it better. But the idea is that although children can't explain a lot, they enjoy a lot. Adults can explain a lot, and they tend not to enjoy much at all. Have you ever thought about this? You may be able to explain quantum physics but there may not be a lot of enjoyment in your life. A kid will go play. He doesn't care. He's not worried that that satellite is going to come out of its orbit and come crash down on us. Doesn't know, doesn't care. There's some blissful ignorance maybe there. So the enjoyment. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. The enjoyment that he promises. You realize... We probably have a wrong view of partying because of our flesh and our lusts and sin here on this world. But the millennial kingdom and the eternal state, to me, sound like a big party. We're going to worship God forever. We're going to enjoy a meal, marriage supper of the Lamb. There's enjoyment for us in Christ. But how does that happen? It happens by faith. It's by his grace but our belief, our trust, our willingness to depend on him to give us eternal life. And can I explain all that? No. Do I have all the answers? No. Will I ever? No. But we have to come to him with childlike faith. Verse 16 and he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. 
The idea is he let them come and gave them a hug. And maybe while he was embracing them, he took one of his hands and, and put it on the little kid's head and prayed a blessing over the child. That's the picture. That they got access to him. He cared about them. He prayed for them. He blessed them. The word bless there is emphatic also. It's almost like he's showing the disciples. Because they said, he doesn't have time for you. We're not going to do that today. That's not on the agenda. And he brought them and he blessed them over and over. He, he overdid it, if you will, in blessing these children. How could, I don't know whether we can answer how he could do that. His mercy, his grace, his love, his kindness. How could the children receive that? I think the answer is they're children. They weren't saying, Jesus, I demand my rights. I want a blessing. They weren't saying, I have been so good. I have done so much work for your kingdom. I deserve a blessing. Can you imagine a three-year-old doing that? I can imagine a three-year-old doing a lot of other things, but I can't imagine a three-year-old saying, I deserve the blessings of Jesus. No, the point is that they had nothing to offer. And Jesus, I don't mean any irreverence here, but Jesus shows up when we have nothing to offer. He is at his best when we are at our worst, when we realize, I don't have anything. Old Testament says our righteousnesses are filthy rags, garbage. So what's the point of these four verses? That we, as adults, should be bringing children to Jesus. Why? Because he welcomes them. If you're a child, come to Jesus. Why? Because he welcomes you. If you have the attitude, the humility of a child, come to Jesus. Why? Because he welcomes you. We come to Jesus with childlike trust and dependence. That's how we come. And by his grace, that's what we receive. We receive access to him, access to the Father. The men's Bible study is going through Hebrews right now. And we just studied in chapter 4 this week the fact that we can come boldly before the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. We re receive mercy. We receive grace. It's not deserved. It's unmerited. We can't do enough good. We can't earn enough stars in order to get salvation. But he offers it to us freely if we'll come to him. He is the only source. Now, at the beginning, I said this was about children and other unimportant people. Am I saying that you are unimportant? In a sense, yes. In a sense, no. I am unimportant in the sense that I'm not worth saving. I don't have anything to offer God. All I have is myself. And I'm coming to him in faith to forgive me of my sin, give me eternal life, and use me as he sees fit. A couple of verses to go along with that, that it's not anything in me. 
Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is not what I can do. Otherwise, I could brag about it. It's not what I did. It's not what I can do in the future. It's what Jesus Christ did by grace through faith. Titus 3, 5 goes right along with it. It's not by works of righteousness that I have done. Jesus didn't say, okay, which of you kids made your bed this morning? You can come to me. Which of you kids cleaned your room? Which of you kids obeyed your parents? He let them come, not because of what they had done, but because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his love. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So which group do you fall, fall into? What, what group do you relate to? I hope you don't relate to the disciples, actually, in this story. Because what are they doing? They're saying, no, you can't come to Jesus. He's too important. He doesn't have time for you. Let that not be said of us. Whether you're talking about your own kids or whether you're talking about somebody else's kids. Don't be a hindrance to people coming to Jesus. You who are young people, you can come to Jesus. You can pray to him. You can ask him to forgive you of your sins. Adults, guess what? Jesus loves you. You can come to him. He will forgive you of your sins. He will cleanse you. He will restore you. What do you have to do? Believe on him. Come to him. Call on him. Pray to him. Any of those things. Come to him through his finished sacrifice. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would reinforce in our minds how good you are, how gracious and merciful you are, how welcoming you are. Lord, if there is a child in the room this morning who hasn't yet come to know you as Savior, I pray that you would draw that little one to you. That parents and others here in our congregation would encourage and help bring that child to Jesus. We thank you for those who've made that decision recently. Lord, for any adults who haven't reached that place of casting their belief, their faith on you. Lord, it is so easy for us to be concerned about this or that, the answers, understanding everything. Give us faith, childlike faith, that we would believe what you've told us and put our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.